All right. Um, turn to Psalm 6, if you would, please. Psalm 6. Continuing our study here on Wednesday nights through the Psalms. When you're on a long car ride with small kids, there's probably one question that you hear more than any others. Other than, when are we going to stop to eat or to go to the bathroom, it is, are we there yet? Now, hopefully as adults, we get past the, are we there yet, at least asking that every, every few moments. But even as adults, we have this question when things come up in life that are difficult, that we're not sure how to handle, that are uncertain, we have that question. How long? Are we there yet? Are we almost done? Why is this happening? Sometimes that suffering may be the result of specific choices that we have made. That seems to particularly be the case in the psalm that we're looking at tonight. And so David ponders this question, how long? How do I respond to this difficulty? Where can I turn? Broadly speaking, this psalm is a lament, like some of the last ones that we've been looking at. It is also, many would see, as a, a penitential psalm. He's expressing an attitude of seeking God's forgiveness because of some sin that he has committed. David is, of course, the author of this psalm, and it's a fairly short psalm. But what do we see in this psalm about our response to situations when we feel overwhelmed? Verse 1, I think, reminds us, verses 1 through 3, that, of course, we should cry to God when we are overwhelmed. Let's read them together. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am pining away. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. But you, O Lord, how long? Now, the reason that many would see this as being a penitential psalm, an idea of repentance behind it, is in verse 1 where it says, Do not rebuke me in your anger or chasten me in your wrath. And this would beg the question of why would he be concerned that God was going to rebuke him or that God was going to chasten him? And so there's two ways to take this. One is that he has committed a sin and expects God to hold him accountable for that sin. The other is that even if he has not committed some sort of sin, he is so overwhelmed with the circumstances of his situation that he just feels like God is against him. What do we do in those sorts of situations? I think verse 1 would encourage us to seek God's mercy, to ask God for mercy. Do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your wrath. Now certainly we know from Proverbs 3.11 and other passages that the Lord reproves those he loves. God disciplines his people. Hebrews 12 picks up this theme and says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. It says also in that passage, discipline at the time does not seem pleasant, but sorrowful. Think of your parents making you do chores. You don't want to do the chores at the time they ask you to do them. No one, I mean even as adult, there's very few people that want to take out the trash. But it's something that's necessary to be done. And building that habit, among other good habits, is something that helps create character in us. And to a certain extent, God does those same sorts of things in our lives. He puts us in situations that are not easy, where we're forced to rely on Him, where we can practice following Him 
to create in us the sort of character that he wants to see in us that reflects and, and mirrors what we're supposed to do in terms of being like Jesus. There's also the reality that sometimes difficulty comes in our lives because of sin. What are the sources of those difficulties? Sometimes it's our own sin. God said, don't lie, and I lied, and it caused me all sorts of grief and trouble. God said, don't steal, and I stole, and again, it caused me all sorts of trouble. This was David's own experience. Whether he had experienced this at the time of this particular psalm or not, we know from the story of David's life that he stole. When he was supposed to be out fighting the Philistines, he saw another man's wife, he stole her away from that man, and then arranged for that man to be killed. He committed sin. In Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are the familiar passages that we would see as connected to that example in David's life, but that same attitude is what we see here. He did something that displeased God, and he's turning away from it. Sometimes situations that come up are a result of sinful choices that we have made. Sometimes they're a result of sinful choices of people around us. We live in a world full of other sinful people, and sometimes people do things that are wrong to us. And that can create in us that sense of discouragement, of frustration, of being overwhelmed. Whichever occasion it is, the response is the same. We need to call out to God, either to confess our sin and say, Lord, I've sinned, please forgive me, and deal with that sin with God and with other people, or we need to look around us at the circumstance that we are in and consider why it is that we are in that circumstance and again, call out to God for His mercy. Whether it's mercy on our behalf or mercy on behalf of someone around us, when we are in situations, when we are overwhelmed, when it feels as though we are under God's wrath, God's rebuke, we need to cry out to Him for mercy. And we see that God does not show wrath toward people who repent. Jeremiah 18 has these comforting words. At any time, I might announce that a nation or a kingdom will be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. But if that nation I warned turns from its evil, then I will relent of the disaster that I had planned to inflict. God is not a God who's looking for any and every opportunity to make our lives miserable, to pour out His anger against us for no reason. He says, if we turn away from our sin... He will spare us. But he also has this warning so that we do not think that sin is no big deal. If at another time I announce I will build up and establish a nation or kingdom, and if it does evil in my sight and does not listen to my voice, I will relent of the good I had intended for it. We see examples of both in Israel's history. Uh, for example, the prophet Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh. What happens in the city of Nineveh? The people hear Jonah's warning and they turn away from their sin, at least for a time, and God spares the city. What was Jonah's message? Forty days and Nineveh will be just destroyed. God doesn't destroy Nineveh because God shows mercy like he showed in this verse. There are places in Israel's own history where they were following God, then they turned away from following God, and God brought punishment from them on them, often through the nations around them. This would be, in Psalm 6, more on an individual level, but we see it certainly happening on a national level as well. So we need to cry out to God for mercy. Verse 2, I think, would show us that we need to seek God's grace. Verse 2 says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, 
for I am pining away. Heal me, for my bones are dismayed, and my soul is greatly dismayed. Why should we seek God's grace? What is God's grace? God's grace is God's undeserved kindness to us. If we're sinners, we don't deserve for God to be kind to us. We don't deserve any of God's blessings. But there are verses that say that God sends His reign on the, the good and the evil. That God gives all of us life and food and many other blessings. God is gracious to people who do not deserve it. So we call out to God because He's a gracious God. We also seek God's grace because sin and overwhelming sorrow can, can overwhelm us, can go through our entire being. Look at where it says there, I am pining away. My bones are dismayed. My soul is greatly dismayed. Now some people will look at this verse and they'll talk about the physical effects of sorrow and of grief, and those are certainly real. I think the main idea that David's getting at in this verse is the idea that when he says his bones are dismayed, it's representing the entirety of his person. He is so discouraged and overwhelmed and frustrated in such difficulty that it's weighing on his entire being. What response do we have in that sort of circumstance except call out to God to ask for His grace. And then I think the verse 3, the second half of it, is a recognition that we need to admit our strength runs out. Look at, look at it. But you, O Lord, how long? It's almost as though He starts to say something and He cuts it off because He just can't get the words out. He starts to, seemingly starts to say, and you, O Lord, are a help, and you, O Lord, could give help in this situation, but he doesn't get it out. He just says, how long? How much longer will I have to endure this? How long will I be facing difficulty from these people, whether it's of my own making or, or whether it's just this situation that I'm in? How long am I going to experience this? Our strength runs out. We have to keep calling out to God. You, O oh Lord, that's the one he's addressing. Even when words fail us, for the Christian it says in Romans chapter 8, it says that the Spirit works together with our spirit to help us pray in these moments when words fail us to express the emotion, the difficulty, the circumstances of our hearts. We don't know what to say the Holy Spirit can help us to call out to God in prayer. Along these same lines, I think David is calling out to God and he's saying, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. So cry to God. Whether, when you're overwhelmed, whether it's due to sin that you have committed or whether it's due just to the overwhelming circumstances of life. But also plead with God. See this in verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, Return, O Lord, rescue my soul, save me because of your loving kindness, for there is no mention of you in death, and Sheol who will give you thanks. What's he doing? He's pleading with God. He's saying, God, help me. Two reasons. He's asking for help from God because God is faithful. He's talking about God's faithful love. Verse 4, your loving kindness. That word has to do with God's loyalty toward His people, that God makes promises to His people. God will keep those promises, 
and we can appeal to God on the basis of the promises that He has made. If we belong to God, we have a relationship with Him, and we can say, God, I belong to You. You're faithful to me. So we call out to Him on that basis. Now when it says, Return, O Lord, can God repent like we do? Repenting, turning away from something bad, and turning to something good? No. But going back to that passage I read for you in Jeremiah 18, the Bible does describe God repenting in those sorts of circumstances, in a conditional sort of way. If this happens, this is the response I will have. If that happens, that is the response I will have. The difference is for God, He knows which one's going to happen before it happens, and He creates the circumstances. He rules over all of this. For us, it's we don't know what's going to happen, so we have all these contingencies and, and all of these plans. In God's case, David is saying, rescue me. The big if is, if I repent, he says, I'm repenting, I'm calling out to you, return, turn away your anger from me, return, rescue my soul. God shows covenant loyalty to his people despite their many failures. Think about this. The people of Israel complained in the wilderness over and over again. They didn't listen to the leaders that God appointed for them. They went their own way on many occasions. And you have the rule of David in 950 B.C. all the way up for hundreds of years before God finally allows another nation to conquer them, to seize their attention and turn them away from their idolatry. God shows patience with His people for generations. And so this loyalty of God is certainly something that we can appeal to. But not only ask for help because of who God is, but also ask for help for the sake of His glory. It says in verse 5, There is no mention of you in death in Sheol who will give you thanks. What's he saying? He's basically saying the one praying can't praise God if he's not around to praise Him anymore, right? If the person who's supposed to praise God dies, he can't praise God. Now, are there other people who can praise God? Certainly. But that specific individual can't praise God. So David's saying, I individually can't praise you, God, if you don't spare my life from these enemies who are coming against me. And the fascinating thing about this is he's praying this even in a situation where he may well deserve God's judgment. If I sin, God's judgment is right in coming on me. We know that David does in his life sin in such a way that he deserved death. David committed adultery. What was the penalty for adultery in Israel? It was to be stoned to death outside the camp. They, this was very serious in God's sight, and yet God spared him. Any sin, for that matter, is worthy of death in God's sight. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, the wages of sin is death. Now, it doesn't always happen right away. Sin can be something that takes a long time before we reach the point of actually physically dying. But it's a symptom of an underlying problem, which is that we're separated from God, we're spiritually dead. And so when we consider this, and we see someone appealing to God and saying, there's no mention of you in death, spare me from it. It's not that he deserves God to spare him from it, but he is calling out to God. He's saying, God, be merciful to me. And he's saying, ask, he's asking God to let him glorify him again. 
I haven't been praising you. Uh, there's a point in David's life when a prophet comes to him and basically says, your actions have discredited God to the peoples around you. You've behaved sinfully, and now the people all around Israel have a bad reputation, a bad idea of who God is and what He's like. But David is saying in this circumstance, but give me a second chance. Let me do what I should have been doing. And God is faithful and gracious many times to give us these kinds of second chances. Now this isn't bargaining. This isn't sort of, God, if you spare me, I'll do whatever you want. Because we owe that to God anyway, right? So it's not a bargaining. It's not that we can somehow twist God's arm and say, I'll offer you this if you give me that. It's just a humble plea of saying, God, you're loving and faithful. God, you can spare me so that I can give you praise, as I well should have been. So cry to God when you're overwhelmed by sin and sorrow. Plead with God on the basis of His love and the opportunity that you will have to praise Him, to bring Him glory. But then also, it is entirely appropriate for us to describe our anguish, our sorrow. Look at verse 6. I'm weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch, my bed with tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old because of all my adversaries. If we describe this today, we would probably describe it in terms of a word like depression. Something for us to consider. Is depression something that we have that happens to us or something that we do or at least that we have a hand in? I say that not to be harsh or insensitive or careless toward anybody who's going through extremely difficult times. But let me give you two examples. Let's say that there is a mom who's just had a baby. Things have gone on in her bodies. All of these things are out of whack. She just has this sense of being drained and exhausted and all those sorts of things. Are there legitimate physical causes contributing to how she feels in that moment? Certainly. Consider a guy who says, you know what? I don't feel like I'm not really enjoying my job. So I'm going to stay up really late tonight and play video games and watch TV. And he sort of gets in a cycle of doing this. And then the next day he goes to work and his job doesn't go well. So then he's like, all right, I'm going to go back to the thing I did the night before, which is stay up really late, do whatever I want, not get any sleep, all that sort of thing. Over time, he's going to sort of spiral into a point where he's experiencing the same sort of symptoms that someone who legitimately has some sort of physical reason for it is experiencing. Why? Because of foolish choices that he's made. My point in saying that is that there are a variety of causes for the sort of sorrow and discouragement and frustration that's described in verses 6 and 7. And many times, there is at least some part of a choice that we've had that's led to that. And to be honest, we can't always unravel how we got to that point. So what do we do when we find ourselves in that point? David expresses his sorrow to God. Because at the end of the day, God is the only one who can ultimately help comfort him. He says in verse 6, where he's weary with his sign, I think I would just sum up verse 6 this way. Sorrow can seem endless. Sighing. You're not even sure how to speak. It's just... <sighs> What am I going to do? 
and you're just overwhelmed and, and, and this sense flows over you. Overflowing tears. He says, I make my bed swim. If that's not exaggeration, I don't know what is. He, he feels like he's in such sorrow and weeping so much that it's as though his, his bed is being washed away by the extent of his sorrow, his grief, his discouragement. And I think the thing that we have to recognize is both these things are happening instead of sleep, right? Because you don't cry that much. You don't, you're, you're, you're not sighing that much and getting a good night's rest, right? And so he is experiencing sorrow and, and difficulty to an extent that he's just exhausted. And I think that leads into the next verse. My eye has wasted away with grief. It has become old of all my adversaries. It's wasted away. It's, it's grown old. It's, it's this... Uh, if you see someone who just hasn't had any sleep and has gone through a very traumatic experience, you just see this expression in their face that, it's, that it, at least in that moment, it's, it's aged them. It's hard on them. It's just, what are they going to do? In this case, it's specifically tied to his enemies. He says, because of all my adversaries. And again, even if we're in this circumstance due to a sinful choice, what's the solution to getting out of that situation? It's dealing with all of those things before God and with God's help. And sometimes it's it's things that people around us do. Sometimes it's not always sinful things that we've done. We may have done nothing wrong, and we can have the same situation where we're just overcome by grief. Turn to God in those times. But the end of the psalm concludes on a hopeful note. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity, for the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping, the Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. So cry to God when you're overwhelmed by sin or by sorrow. Plead with God to deliver because of Him, not because of you. Describe the anguish of your soul to a compassionate God, but then expect that God will hear. And rejoice when He does. He expresses it in three ways. The Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. God hears your grief when it says my weeping. God hears your prayer, my supplication, my request. He receives my prayer. Why? Again, it's tied back to having a relationship with God. He hears the prayers of His people. He hears the prayers of those who are calling out to Him. And then he is also, in the beginning of verse 8, and then in verse 10, he is giving a warning to those who are oppressing him, who are opposing him, who are the specific cause, back in verse 7, of his grief. He's surrounded by these enemies, by those who are opposing him. And now he turns to them and he says, God has allowed you, allowed you to cause me difficulty for a time. God has heard my prayer and He's delivering me from you. What should that be a warning to those enemies of? There is a day of reckoning that comes for everyone, even if it seems like those 
who are behaving wickedly and doing harm to someone else are just going to sort of continue on forever with nothing happening to them. He says, they will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. He's urging them repentance. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. How is that repentance? They're turning away from their oppression. They're causing difficulty for David. They're turning away from that. He's saying, turn away from that. Why? Because God deals with every one of us. It says in Hebrews that every one of us will face death, and after death comes judgment. And at that day of judgment, the only right answer in God's sight for how can you be right before me is not I was a good person. It's not I went to church. It's not I prayed these prayers. It's I trusted in Jesus and what he did for me. He was perfect when I never could have been perfect. He paid for the sin that I committed and all the sins I ever would commit. I turn to him. David doesn't develop that to that degree here, but I think that is certainly an understanding of God that stands behind his statement. You need to turn away from the wrong you're doing. God is going to deal with every one of us. Consider what happened in Egypt. God allowed the people of Egypt, the Pharaoh specifically, to oppress the people of Israel for a time. 400 years they were in slavery in Egypt. And then what did God do? In the book of Exodus, He delivered them with mighty deliverance using plagues and all of these other things to take care of His people. And if He could do that for the people of Israel and Egypt, He can certainly do that for us individually in the circumstances that we face. So what questions should we ask ourselves? When I am in difficulty... Who do I call out to? Do I call out to God or do I turn somewhere else? Because God is the one who shows mercy, who shows grace. When I am overwhelmed with sorrow, how do I deal with that sorrow? Do I try to dull it? Do I try to ignore it? Do I try to solve it on my own or do I express it to God, acknowledge any part that I have in the circumstances that I'm in and say, God, help me, deliver me? And when God hears that prayer, do I recognize that it is tied to a relationship with God and that I need to be encouraging those around me to fear God? Because just like I needed to turn away from my sin, so do they. When you're in the midst of a difficulty, how long at the end? Only God knows how long. Only God can bring an end to it. So go to Him when that is the cry of your heart. So what would it look like to pray this passage as we come to our time of prayer? There's at least two ways that we could pray it. God, I have sinned. Or simply just God, life is overwhelming right now. Show mercy on me. You know my sorrow. You will hear my prayer Restore and help me, God. There's many more things that we could say, but that would be a simple way to pray this passage for ourselves, for someone else that we know. And so as we go to our time of prayer, consider how we can take a passage like this, apply it to circumstances that we've faced in the past, that we're facing right now, that we will face down the road, circumstances that people we know are going through, 
And let's pray these truths together as we go to our time of prayer.